always bigger picture, always perspective, always intentful, always mindful, always detailed. Yeah. It's, it is, I've learned so much being here. Just, I mean, just the things that we focus on and their ability to think of others and to think of like, how can this make the bigger picture better? They're amazing. Nobody does it better. (laughs) We can learn so much from them on how they do things um, intently um, to really benefit and support for positive reasons. It's, it's amazing. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are gonna be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive and that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. We have a returning guest back on the show. Natasha Watley is here. So happy to have you here. Yes, I am happy to be back. I mean, last time I felt like we needed more time, so I'm excited that we get to continue the conversation. (laughs) Me too. I agree with that completely. I remember we had like five minutes left, and I was like, what? I still have 45 questions on my page. We need to do this again. Um, and ironically, we're doing this while you're while you're in Japan again. Yep. So early morning for you, late night for me. Um, but just so grateful that you could be back. Last time we dove like really hard into slapping um, and just being, we, do, we talked a little bit about base running, but not a whole lot. Definitely want to dive into that with you today because you and I both know how important good base running is mm-hmm. um, and how it's definitely not taught as much as it should be. We both even just kind of hinted that we need to develop courses around yep, this yep. because it's it's something that I think everybody can learn from, like yeah. whether you're just starting out or playing college, like it's, yeah. you can never, you can never know too much, you know? Right. And there's always new things to learn. And I think a lot of things too, it comes from just instinctual things as well, you know, when it comes to base running. And so once you start to put like the strategy behind it and you start to practice that way, 
it's a game changer for people. I, and I think that's where where we see base running mistakes is like the strategy is not instilled so they don't build the instincts, you know? So um, yeah, there's so many things. Yeah. So I mean, that we can talk about for sure. For I know. I know. And we're probably going to talk about that the longest, but I did want to dive into your experience in Japan. So last time we asked your, your story of your playing career and you got to play until how old? Until you, when you 35. retired? 35. 35. Yeah. And you played the majority of that was, well, actually you played in Japan and the U S together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And you were very successful in both places, but just after coming off the Olympics, I mean, it was this past summer and I'm very curious how, like, if you can just, you know, wrap it up in like one to two minute spiel on like, what was your take from, from Tokyo 2020 seeing how the U S U S turned out, how Japan turned out and maybe just holistically, what, what's your take on it? I'm just interested in what you thought. Oh gosh. I had like an, whole realm of emotions and if anybody caught my little rant on social media i was super emotional and i was like mad at myself that i was emotional but emotional because there's on so many levels i mean the main thing obviously just relating to our usa athletes and their feeling of feeling like they let our country down you know winning silver and you know i've won a silver medal as well and you have this feeling of like disappointment and and as you should i mean you lost the gold medal game you know but i think when you start to separate and you get away it's still you won a medal and so many people yeah. can't say that you know and so um i felt that that was the immediate the next thing was obviously you know i think you know my opinion and, and i think for that's why you asked this in my opinion that is why i think the japanese were able to pull through is they have a successful pro league the athletes that are on that national team they're training 100 and 100 of the 365 days of the year they probably get mm-hmm. you know a couple of days off here and there but they're training at a high competitive elite level with their pro teams and i'm just jealous and you know yes i'm here um it's been my full-time job they allowed me to extend my career and so you know there's other factors to that but i you know i so badly want this at home and we have yet to like figure it out and so mm-hmm. i do think that that was very that exposed usa in terms of talent player for player the depth of players that we have at home far exceed the talent that they have here. You know, I'm here, I'm hands-on here, you know, they're great. They're good, but they've consistently are training. They're consistently doing things. And, you know, we're putting a team together that, yeah, they're training together for a year or year two outside of the Olympics, but they're outside of that, you know, where, where are they getting better? Where are they developing, you know, athletes that have been, that have come out of college on our, USA team and that are on the national team when they leave the USA team like what where are we making them better at you know and so like that part that hurts you know and so like you know there's a need there so that was another emotion and the last emotion is just you know being a part of the game and just you know building friendships internationally Um, my friends that are here in Japan Australia um, seeing some of the greats that are going to retire knowing that our game won't be in the next Olympics, the only next shot is 2028. And so like just seeing that another gap and like just hoping that we don't take a step back and like there's just so much momentum and so much excitement that was built around 
just getting to 2020, you know, and like how excited our game was across the world, you know, feeling that here in Japan, feeling that at home, other countries as well. And so like that was the, the other part of just seeing some of my friends retire, you know, Stacy Porter, a competitor I've played with for like the last 15 years, you know, mm-hmm. I built a friendship with her playing against her here in Japan, um, knowing that she's not going to put an Australian uniform on, um, bueno, you know, not that I said that we, I can't say we built a friendship, but we've built a rapport of, you know, yeah. like we see each other, it's respect, you know, and I respect that girl's game madly. You know, I, I, I think she's one of the best pitchers I've ever faced and just, to know possibly we won't see her in 2028. It's like we watched history. So like that, those were like all my emotions that were going through. And it was like, mm-hmm. I I felt it and I, I was embarrassed that I posted it, but then I was like, you know what? Like I feel this and I'm putting this out there. And I really, I was, I was, I was a wreck that next day, you know? And it wasn't about me. It was just my pure relationship to the game. And that was it. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I felt I felt every emotion simply yeah. because I started crying literally watching you p- yeah. like put this up. It was in your stories. I'm not exaggerating. I literally started to tear up because you want it so bad because you played on Team USA. You wanted them to win so badly and it, you you probably foresee like you want the US to do the things that Japan is doing because they earned it. Like they flat out they earned the dang gold. And as hard as it is to say, like the US has has I don't want to say a long way to go, because I think we have like we've done a good job to be able to develop players to play, you know, and they still beat them in the first game. So clearly we have a lot of great things going on. But I completely agree. And and you told me just before this, this is your 13 in Japan for you. Like you have seen the Japanese compete and play. You've played there. Um, I I played with um, Yamada and uh, Watanabe, like uh, Kazuki. And I, when I played with them, I learned so much in such a fast amount of time. I played with them for one year, and I'm sitting there listening to stories, and they're like, "Yeah, we practice six hours a day." It's like yep. that's just yeah. day in the life. We we practice all year. We literally are employees of. I think they both played for Toyota at the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it just really opened my eyes to this whole nother world that I don't think many know about. So that's why I asked you back on is because if anybody knows that world, um, especially compared to ours, you you know um, what works. So could you just like start us out with maybe your experience there? Because I know, I think it was, was it when you... One silver was maybe the first time you went over. Yep. Yeah. Guide us through that journey of how you just started to to play there and just fall in love with that culture. Yeah. So right after 2008, um, I just, I'm like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I still want to play. Um, and at that time, we knew that we weren't going to be back in the 2012 Olympics or 16. So it's like, I'm not ready to hang these cleats up. You know, we still had you know, the pro league and I knew that I could do that, but I wanted that opportunity to play year round. And so I was 27 at the time. So that was after 2008, 27. And that was my first year here in Japan. And honestly, I was like, I'll just go for one year and just test it out and just see how it goes. Never in a million years dreamt of like living and being in Japan. But when I reached out, you know, the only team that I could get a hold of or reach out to was Toyota. And they're like, okay, we would love to have you, but we're not going to sign you until we find a pitcher. So I'm like, if you can help us find a pitcher, then we'll take you. So I'm like, 
well, shoot, you know? So if I'm going to find the picture, I'm going to go find the best darn picture there is, you know? And so I reached uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Monica, you know, like, let's go play for Toyota. And she's like, oh my gosh, I've got so many offers from so many different Japanese teams. I'm like, okay, well, choose Toyota. Like, <laughs> you know, more yeah. so, you know, she's a pitcher and she was, you know, they were all after her as they should. And I'm like, choose Toyota, you know? And luckily i think she chose toyota and i think partly you know we know that name in at home you know most of the other teams she hadn't heard of and i would like to say i played a small part but i'm you know knowing monica she made her decision diligently um but made the decision to come and i mean it was just life-changing i think it changed our world it especially after you know in our brains we lost a gold medal so i'm like you know i'm gonna go and i'm gonna learn like why these girls why these women beat us you know what is it that they're doing here that we're not um so i came with like open eyes an open mind like i'm not going to you know be you know like be stuck up or i'm gonna do everything like and mm-hmm. i fell back in love with the game like not that i had fallen out of the love and i, I should say i got re-inspired um this team that we, we came to like when we came to Toyota, they were like seventh, eighth place. There's 12 teams in Japanese Pro League. And they just welcomed us with open arms and more, you know, like they just were grinding and they were, we spoke a universal language of like competing and winning, you know, we couldn't really necessarily compete. Um, so that one year turned into two and that two turned into three. And then like, it just kept rolling and we just kept coming back. And that first year we lost the championship game. First time our team ever made it to the championship game, lost the championship game to Wayno's team, who is like the longstanding like champs. Um, right. And then after the second year we came back, we actually, we won. And so from then I think we were kind of hooked and just built this relationship with this, this Toyota team and they've become family. So have seen the league evolve. I mean, back then it was like only Wayno's team and um, Toyota Shoki, which was Michelle Smith's team. Like that were the top two teams. Michelle Smith, I think we missed her by a year or two. Um, she had just retired. And so um, once we came, like then there was like three, four, five teams that were like, you know, competing for a championship every single year. So we could just see the growth of just like it just always just being these two teams to now like the wealth being spreaded against uh, across different teams and just seeing how they've developed. Um, and it's because it's the consistency of the amount of times that they get to train, um, the support, you know, they, the league is fully supported by these corporations. These corporations just, it's a line item in their budget and they dish out money to support these teams and develop these women. Um, they pour into their athletes and it's not about making money. It's about purely developing their athletes and where they make their money is that these women are employees of the company. And so, you know, when they're not on the field, they're working for the company, making money for the company. So that's kind of like mm-hmm. a payback, you know? And so it makes sense. Um, and as a team, you know, gets, better and like as we started to prove ourselves our girls you know they have kind of levels within the company so if like you're a b level like you work a little bit more at the company and then like you practice less but like they've earned because we started to win that a level where now they they're purely like just practice you know and like maybe um have to check in once a week with their companies and so they're not really working all that much because they earned it you know and so it's just a really Mm -hmm. neat model 
how they get incentivized, you know, and they, and they get to get paid to play like essentially. And it's cool. And so when they retire, they have a job to fall back into. They go and they work for the company if they choose. Um, it's just a really unique situation. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it here. <laughs> That's a long winded. Yeah. So I can tell, I can tell you love it there. Now, when did their league, I, I don't know if you know this answer, but when did it begin? Do you know any idea? Yeah, I do know. And I just actually asked this question. Um, I want to say in, I want to say like the, like nineties. Um, oh, really? I, I, yeah. Don't quote me. I, I just asked this question. I can get back to you on that, but yeah, I mean, before us, like Lisa Fernandez played for Toyota, um, Susie Para, Gillian Box. So the league has been around for quite a bit. Um, I mm-hmm. want to say like 90s. That is yeah, tough. that's interesting. I, I, I really just wanted to know that question because growing up as I, I was born in 93. I don't want to date anyone here, but <laughs> I was born in 93 and had in my entire career – even like until probably my junior year of college, I had no idea there was a pro softball league. Yeah. I had no idea in the US. And because of like you were saying, like the different tiers that they have, just the system, the organization that they have in Japan, you make it seem like they've been around for a hundred years, like that league, you know? But their model is just, it's incredible. It's mm-hmm. its interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they clearly have tons of money um, <laughs> just because of the corporation they are under. And I know a lot of people want you know, pro softball to be combined with the MLB, which there's money there too. Mm-hmm. But like just the way Japan is doing it, it's so different. It is so different in because the intent is not return on investment. And, you know, and I think that's a big thing at home. Anybody who wants to jump into a pro league, like it's like, what's my return on this investment? Um, right. And they have built it on the merit of like, the intent is to develop our athletes and give them full support year round. It's dope. It's dope. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. And just to have that support and it's like now, but so, you know, things will, and we can get into that. Things will change next year. They're rebranding the, the whole league, adding teams and like they're changing the model to build revenue because now they've built a runway. They've built fans. They've built support. They have the teams. So next year will be interesting in 2022 the league will restructure and change. And I think they're going to have some built-in revenue models, but that's n- that hasn't been the case until uh, till up to date, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, yeah. And just for anybody that's listening, that's just like, what? Yeah. There's like pro, and like Michelle Smith played over there, like you played over there. Yes, yeah. like these elite players in the U.S., in order to make, I'm just going to say it, six mm-hmm. figures and like and actually what they deserve at the highest level – they're going to Japan to do so. And if I remember correctly, the teams have at, or there's like a max of like two other foreign players per team. Correct. So each team can have two foreigners. Right now in this current league, which will change, there's 12 teams and there's a first division and a second division. And in the first, you know, our Toyota teams in the first division and there's 12 teams. Um, not sure how many, in the, I think there's less teams in the second division two foreigners per each team. But next year, when the model changes, they will have 16 teams. They'll have the East and the West division and it's unlimited amount of foreigners that you can have in the team. So it's awesome. So it's pretty much based on that team's budget on 
how many foreigners they can bring. They're really trying to make it a true pro league. And the way that they label the existing pro league is it's a semi pro league. So it's not fully pro. So now they're trying to change the model to like, it's a full pro league, bring in athletes. Like we want this, they want this to be the best pro league in the world. That's what mm. they like. That's their marketing. And it's kind of exciting. It's exciting and crazy. And it's like, at the same time, it's like, we got to figure it out at home too. Yeah. And, and honestly, like looking at it from afar, that's going to provide so many more opportunities. I feel like for USA players at this point, you yeah. know, I mean, if you're going to compete at the highest level, mm-hmm. I, I do love athletes in limited. Like I love the premise. I love that athletes are getting more. I mean, just this past week, I launched an episode with Lauren Hager and we talked about our pro experience and how different it is now with athletes and limited and how great that is. But mm-hmm. I think it's just so cool that, you know, an athlete can really, you know, make this full time yeah. because yep. a lot of people don't last in the U S simply because they can't do this full time unless they get, you know, tons of sponsors. Right. Um, and even then it's like, where do you train? How do you train? It's, right. there's just no like full system yeah. that's as incredible as Japan. So yeah. I want to dive into like practice and yeah. what the year looks like. So yeah. you're over there coaching now. So you, yeah. you've seen it from both ends. So yeah. I'm excited to ask you these yeah. questions. But can you just describe maybe what like a week looks like for a typical team? Like, let's just say you're, you know, maybe preseason looks different than season. I'm just interested to know what, what is your maybe year or weeks look like? Yeah. So the season is broken up into two halves. Um, okay. And do that to accommodate the national team because the national team plays in the summer. So every, remember, everything's intentful. So the league was built mm-hmm. to build their national team you know it's the teams the pro teams are national uh actual feeders to the national team that's how they pick their athletes and so there's three months in the spring three months in the fall so it usually starts mid-april or you know first or second week of april goes all the way till june they break for the summer and then they come back at the end of um, august start early september October, November, the final tournament playoffs are usually in the first or second week of November. And then that's their whole season. As a player, you know, obviously I had to be here way more as an athlete. Um, You know, obviously my contract as a coach, I'm like a specialized coach and I just work with some hitters and, and do some stuff offensively mainly. So as a player, you know, I was, I would come probably mid March and train for two or three weeks prior to our opening. Um, and then we would start mid-April and we would go. And there usually the games are back to back. They'll be, you know, sometimes they'll be a week or two off. But our practices on a game week are definitely different than when it's like off week or preseason. In preseason, definitely we're doing AM PM training. We like that six to seven hours is not a joke that you're talking about because if you're Yamada, like they really practice all day long. It's like a job. <laughs> yeah, it's it, well, you're getting paid to, to play, right? right? And so in preseason, usually, I mean, we get there at nine and we'll go from like nine to 1130, do some sort of defense. Um, and then in the um, afternoon, it's all hitting and probably start around 132. So from like two to like 430, it's, um, you know, front toss, you know, we'll do um, drills or whatnot. And then we'll get into some type of live hitting or situational hitting, depending on like where we are. And then after that, it is like custom that they practice on their own. So like after four thirty, team practice is done. 
So probably like from five to six thirty-seven, they'll do just their individual training where they'll get extra ground balls, do extra hitting, but it's like ingrained in their blood. So it's like a hundred percent of the team usually is staying at that time. Wow. Um, it's That's amazing. a testament to just like how much <laughs> they want to get better. Like it's like they don't do it because they're they're forced to do it. They literally do it because they're like, okay, I learned this during practice. Now let's go yep. like, do it. Yep. Let's execute it. Yeah. I love that. That's it's cool. crazy. And it'll be funny because like in the spring when we come, there'll be like a, a freshman athlete, you know, her first year. And it's like, oh, okay, she's kind of good. Like interesting that they got her, you know, but we'll see, you know, mm-hmm. we'll come back in this in the fall and um after the summer and like completely a different athlete just changed because of how much work and time is put in from when we saw them in the spring until when they come back because they're working and the improvement is visible like it's like wow usually you see these changes like year to year for a college athlete like these these changes are visual from like month to month because of how much they they train it's it's ridiculous it's crazy and i'm sure people would say that about you too Oh, gosh. like because you, you don't see it, but like I guarantee you go to Japan, so you you see people in the U.S. and they're like, "Where'd she learn that skill? Like, <laughs> what? She's got another thing?" <laughs> no, it's 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 just it's amazing, like just being able to have that time. And then in a league week, our practices are cut a little bit shorter. So like Monday is usually typically a day off. Tuesday we'll have like an AM PM training. Wednesday will just only be AM only. And then Thursday, they'll just hit only um, in the morning. And then they usually, it's travel day and they'll mm. travel to their venues. And the way that Japan League is, it's everybody plays at a neutral site. So there'll be three sites, four teams travel to each site. And then um, Friday, you get to practice on the game field that you um, travel to. And then games are Saturday, Sunday. So you have one game Saturday, one game Sunday, and then repeat. So kind of wow. flow. It goes, um, time, and it's just full-on training and support uh, throughout the season. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I was interested to see if they had, like, home fields, but I, I kind of like the idea of a, a neutral site. It just makes it fair. But speaking of neutral sites, a lot of people were upset during the Olympics. I wasn't planning on asking this. Um, but a lot of people were upset that they changed sites. Oh, my. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. But I do remember that being some sort of like an issue. Like people were like wondering, you know, why would they move? Why are they so far away from like everything? And COVID was a big issue. I mean, like they, they had to, mm-hmm. they had to go about those rules. But do you remember that being a thing at all? I mean, yeah, a couple of people wrote me like, why did they change? And the reason why they started so far away was because when the earthquake happened, that was, they're they playing near in Fukushima. That was remember a couple of years ago, 2010, I want to say it was when that big earthquake happened. It was kind of uh, like restoring the community there, just al- allowing them to be a part of the Olympic movement. And so oh, that stadium cool. there. So it was like trying to spread the wealth as much as they could within Japan, you know, like, um, and showing, yeah. you know, like we survived um, this earthquake, you know, we're still here, please, we welcome you um, into our community. And it was just trying to build the wealth. And then so like for the championship, they moved the, ch- the championship there. The medal rounds were all played in the center of like Tokyo and Yokohama, like where all the other Olympics festivities were at. So they got to play the medal rounds there. Um, just the beginning stages were, were played pretty far. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was enlightening. I had no idea either. And I knew you'd be the perfect one to ask. But how cool. Like this is this is why... 
I'm falling in love with Japanese culture just because they like they it's bigger picture. I feel like it's always bigger picture for them. Always bigger picture, always perspective, always intentful, always mindful, always detailed. Yeah. It's it is I've learned so much being here. Just I mean, just the things that we focus on and their ability to think of others and to think of like how can this make the bigger picture better they're amazing nobody does it better <laughs> we can learn so much from them on how they do things um intently um to really benefit and support for positive reasons it's it's amazing yeah and i don't think any other culture respects the game you know baseball or softball like them like this the mad i mean it's showing the game respect by staying after for an hour an hour and a half to get as good as you can yeah like I think I think there's a lot we can learn because I know there's a lot of parents that even ask me and maybe I've asked you before, like, how do I get my daughter motivated, yeah. you know, to, to be as good as I can be at this game? Yeah. And a part of it's just like, see the game as almost this grand, beautiful thing that you get to do. Mm-hmm. And like becoming as good as you can at that game mm-hmm. is an art mm-hmm. and it needs to be practiced mm-hmm. and that's how you become the best version of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think they've perfected it in Japan. And it's like culturally ingrained in them. Like it's part of their culture. Like if you're going to do something, you're going to do it all in. And if you want to get better, it's, you know, all or nothing. And I mean, that is like the biggest thing that I've learned. It's like, you know, if I'm going to do something, I got to go all in, I got to do it, you know? And so I don't know. That's it's exactly why they get better is because they take ownership in terms of like their own destiny of, you know, the only way I'm going to get better is if I stay here and turn, we got to turn the field lights on, you know, there's, there's a will, there's a way, you know, and it's, it's, it's proof. It's I've seen, I've seen it live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have. Uh, and I, and I really want to know what are your top reasons why they have been so dominant at least on the national stage. Like what are things that you notice that maybe you haven't shared yet that you're like, these are key reasons why they are so good other than that, because that's obviously a big reason. Yeah. I mean, besides them having the opportunity to train, you know, year round playing competitively. I mean, obviously the the model was smart. I mean, they brought in foreign athletes, you know, being bringing in like a Monica Abbott, um, Michelle Smith, like, that raised the level and the bar of like expectations of like where they needed to reach. And, you know, it's obviously beneficial for Monica and Michelle to be here because they get to train and get to pitch, you know, all the time. Um, but mm-hmm. for the Japanese athletes, it was allowing them to raise their bar. I think there, I, I mean, I mean, just in terms of them culturally, I, I think what we just talked about their attention to detail, their, you know, willingness to, to get better. I think that's played a big, huge part of it. But I I think the main reason is that they, they're fully supported as athletes where they can train. And I think that's, to me, that's like the biggest reason why they've been able to be successful on the national level. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge thing. And it made me think of, you know, you, you, I've talked to enough people and know enough people in the game or any sport for that matter. And when you're surrounded by people, 
or just an environment that no matter what, you are put first. Mm -hmm. You and what you want, your goals become my goals. And like, Mm -hmm. how can we help you get there? How can we make sure you feel comfortable where you're at and are just served at the highest level? You play Mm -hmm. to the highest level. I mean, that's why, you know, frankly, I think college athletics is college softball is where it's at. Exactly. Because those athletes are tended to, you know, not just academically, but also with, you know, the best, um, you know, just academic advisors, the field, mm-hmm. um, the turf management, like ours at Purdue was just like unreal. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you're around people that support the crap out of you. And it's like, how can you not want to do it for them? How can you yeah. not want to play yeah. so well for them? And, yeah. and frankly, I don't see that. I haven't, I haven't seen that in the U.S. as much as I wish for the pro level. You know, even AU, I went to, I went to Athletes Unlimited and again, like where it is now compared to where it was, is it's, it's bigger, it's better. Uh, and, and they are served well, they're served better than we were. But even then I'm like, there weren't many people in the crowd. I mean, it was Kat's last game and it wasn't sold out. And I'm sitting here like, why is it not sold out? Yeah. Like I'm, I came to this game to watch Kat compete one more time. And I don't know, I think just culturally, again, we have so far to go. Yeah. But I think it comes down to that. Like yeah. the fact that Japan, they're, they're surrounded by the best. They're going to get the support from not just the fans, but the organizations that, that run the ship for them. They're going to be served at the highest level, mm-hmm. which I think is great. And and I will say Athletes Unlimited, I've talked to some of the players. They have been served better there than, sure. than they have in the past. And for I sure. think that that's a testament to why we're watching some of the best softball on TV. I don't even know where I'm going with that. But I think it's just, I think it's just big. Yeah. the environment that you're that you're in yeah. and the support like you play higher if you're supported well it's exactly it it's just it's it's facts you know if you're supported and you feel empowered to really just dive into training and not have to worry about anything else it's a beautiful thing like i i mean i felt that like being able to play here so like at 27 mm-hmm. i got better because I was able to just come here and just really just like be fully supported and not have to worry about keeping my lights on at home because I was getting paid, you know, and like, I just really got to train. Um, and you know, it's just, it's more than that. You know, I, I really got to get better, you know, I got to practice hitting an inside pitch every single day, you know? And so mm-hmm. I don't know, something to be said about that. Yeah, there is. And if you're, if you're even, even just having strength and conditioning coaches, like even having just, I remember playing and we didn't have strength and conditioning coaches. So I was just like calling up my buddy, my old yeah. coach from college. Yeah. Like, can you help me? Like, how much the should all, I pay you? Yeah. The all around thing. And like, just like our setup here, you know, just like exactly what you're saying. Like just strength and conditioning. We have like a data room, like, you know, like we have, there's a hired data analysis that we have where she goes wow. and like, will, you know, scout the other teams, but we can like see our own, you know, our own swings, we can see the opposing pitcher that we're going to face for that week. Um, that's also something that mentioned too, is like our meetings on like our opponents and stuff too. But all of that is built in here. So, you know, it's like a one-stop shop. I can, you know, have all the data analysis. I can get my strength and conditioning. We have hired trainers. So if I need to get treatment or care on my body, that's built in. I don't have to go to, you know, like a clinic or something like you know, when I'm at home and I had some things, issues going on, I have to like find a, a nearby clinic, you know, and like get some work done. Just all of that, you know, and I don't know, it's, we need it badly at home. That's it. Yeah. 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 
How do you think we'll get there? What's your idea, ideal scenario for getting there? Ideal scenario. I, I mean, I get so much pushback on this, but I, I mean, honestly, if we can like find corporations who are willing to support, like I said, on the intent of pure development, and maybe it's a line item in their budget, and maybe it's, you know, their social impact work, you know, it's not something that they're going to get an ROI right away. Um, I think we can build and, you know, I really think like on the pro level, you know, our models that we've created, we try to tiptoe around the college game, which we should. I mean, it's like, it's this like sustained model that happens in February to what, you know, June. But if we could start to, you know, have teams that are still together during those times and playing ex- exhibition games and like those preseason college tournaments, like if we can build a model that's year round um, and it's not just summer focused, you know, I think, you know, maybe it's, you know, not full, it's maybe a preseason for the the pro league in the spring. And then mm-hmm. I think summer is actual season. So we, we get some of those um, graduating um, seniors once they finish and then they like roll right into seasons with their teams in the summer and they kind of flow into the fall but you know at least if you are a one-year two-year three-year removed athlete from college you're still getting that training from february to june june with your teams playing exhibition games or you're already assigned to a team you have that full support you have all the things i mentioned you have you know your data analysis your trainer strength and conditioning you're doing all those things um leading up to a june thing so i think in terms of like model like that's what i see in terms of support if we can find um, businesses, corporations, you know, I know obviously we have some things popping up. We've got like the WPF that was just announced and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. I love hearing your intake. <laughs> I love hearing because, because you've seen both sides and yeah. I think just, well, one, you should be on every committee possible, um, <laughs> going on over here, but it is interesting to see what will happen. I do think like for those of you that are like, oh my gosh, should I, should I let my daughter dream to play pro? Yes. 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 I mean, you just mentioned that, you know, even if it stays where it is, which is a good place in the U S like, I think it's going to grow, but now there's more opportunities in Japan, which I think like you're saying, we're talking about like the culture and how, how different the game is. It's, it's a lot that girls could look forward to yeah, um, and dream of. Yeah. It's going to be interesting this next year too, which, which with the, um, you know, with that, the WPF that was just launched with that model and the schedule that does allow for athletes to play in both. And so, which is cool, but I, I, you know, I, I would love for us to get to a point where, we're competing with that Japan schedule where, you know, it's not just offered in the summertime. And obviously those things take time. And obviously I think starting small is a smart thing to do, but like in my perfect world, I would want an athlete to be able to have an opportunity to, to play and train throughout the year and not just those three months in the summertime. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, in my mind, it's a proven, it's a proven model here in Japan. Why these athletes mm-hmm. develop. Yeah. 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 And I know a lot of people that play pro. I mean, even, even I was in these shoes. I was like, well, my only option to play pro is to coach in college. So I have access to the great facilities. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see where we go with this. And I really love your intake on it. Flipping the script a little bit. Uh, I remember when I played with Yamada and Kazuki, it was so funny. They literally 
did front toss into a net. This is just insane. Or actually, they did front toss on a field without a net. Mm-hmm. And they worked so much on barrel control. Like, literally, I think, like, Yama would be in the batter's box and Kazuki would be, like, throwing her a pitch from just, like, probably in line with, like, where the shortstop is. Uh-huh. Like, literally right in front of her face throwing this. And Yama's, like, hitting these balls in the outfield up the middle, yeah. just yeah. working on, like, pulling the ball. And yeah. I'm like... First of all, don't do this at home, people. <laughs> like, don't try this at home. Um, yeah. But, like, how serious do they take barrel control over there? Just because, like, I know I could just see it on their faces. Like, that, they take that to a level I've never seen. Yeah. Well, they're attention to detail again. Like, and they're able to be, like, precise. They've, they practice with such precision. Like, that's normal. Like, they do those, the little side toss thing without a net. It's amazing. It's like honestly just amazing, like their skill set. Um, but they practice that daily, you know. It's I see yeah. it all the time, you know. So they have barrel control. They're just so into their mechanics and their fundamentals, and like breaking it down, and like almost to the part where it makes you sick. I'm like, oh my gosh, just like just we got to compete at some point, you know, but they do. Yeah. Like, aren't you tired of this yet? Yeah. Yeah. There's, but they're so aware of their bodies and yeah. Movements and the things that they're doing. They're like constantly like feeling themselves, you know, like terms of like trying to feel where their hands were. And I think that was, that was something that I, you know, had to pick up on is like, okay, like exactly like, what is it that I do? You know? Cause I, you know, I'm just, yeah. Like, let's, I smell blood. Let's compete. Let's go, you know? So totally um, attention to detail is huge. What are some like little drills that you see them doing that are just like kind of simple to describe, but also like they literally do this every day. Like I want to know the things that you, you want to like throw up thinking about because they do it so much. mm -hmm. Like what is it that they're spending a lot of time on and like, how do they do it? I think it's the side toss, the side toss. um, That's, they do that all the time. Like, well, that's part of like their tea workout like their tee warm-ups they'll hit off the tees and then they'll move the tee and then they'll have someone toss to them and it's like you know super close and they'll just change the angle so they'll like you know kind of be like an outside pitch and then they'll change from the other side where they're coming from the inside and they're having to like stay inside to go right side so that helps them if that makes any sense at all i don't know if that made sense um, it does to me. I hope it does to listeners. Yeah, I think, so the, it, I think the it does. The yeah. essentially moving, you know, the, the, yeah. the head is not moving. So, mm-hmm. you know, And the, you can do that with a net in front of you, everybody. Like if yeah. you're a parent or a coach, that's just yeah. like, okay. Yeah. I think that's huge because you have to be able to see balls come from different directions anyway. Right. Um, especially at the highest level. Um, yeah. I remember in college we used to do like a, our front tosser would be, you know, way inside, like throwing mm-hmm. at an angle and then way outside throwing yeah. at an angle. And I think even that, I haven't really seen, you know, most people get their ideas from videos on YouTube. It's not really, you don't really find that anywhere, but yeah. that's something huge that you can work on, especially just tracking the ball, make, letting it get to you, working mm-hmm. to the side that it's coming from, or doing what you want to do. Like you said, body awareness. Mm-hmm. I think that is massive. And I'm sure they do tons of other things like that um, d- defensively. And I think more so it's, in the off seasons that they do more drills. So I, you know, I'm not always here during off season as much, but to be honest, they don't really do a lot of drills. Once we're in season, it's more reps They're mm. Every time they're fielding a ground ball for the most part, I would say like 
75 to 80 percent of the time they're throwing a, a throwing a ball after they receive it you know so they're taking like full-on reps and so they're constantly like just muscle memory of like building a forehand i'm in this position i'm in the backhand i'm you know i'm, I'm like reading a long hop i'm in this position so it's more about reps and that's the thing that i went one of the things i shockingly like i was hoping that i was going to learn like a lot of defensive drills honestly they are not drill heavy <laughs> And, and like wow. I said, interesting. When I'm here, it's more about reps. Yeah, and then maybe every now and then they might like you know do like rolled ground balls and stuff like. But that's rare. Most of the time, mm-hmm. they ground balls, it's off of, it's off of a bat, and they're moving. It's yeah. <laughs> no, it, it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it makes me want to like relook how I train too, because sometimes I get too caught up in the drills, mm-hmm. you know. And in reality, like you need to one be able to functionally move your body but two like can you do it under pressure do they do a lot of like like challenges and stuff no no they they don't and that might be just just our team but our team just is like purely reps purely purely practice not a lot of drills and i will say like what changes from day to day is the tempo of the fungo hitter from our coach so Mm. and she's doing like team defense like she'll just like pick up the tempo and like so like literally like if you're the next person you got to be ready and like you got to get rid of the ball because it's getting hit hit to the next person like that's behind you so like the tempo happens so like that's how they're able to speed up the game i will say Mm. that the tempo of defense is a little bit faster generally than we are at home but they yeah for the most part practice at that tempo regularly so i think it helps that i mean their transitions their footwork getting rid of you know like all of those things are like all ingrained in the tempo and the speed of the fungo for that day um and some days she'll do it slower where you know like like they get to take her time take a couple steps re- you know gather separate and throw and it's so it's, it's intentful in terms of the tempo so they're like a drill that would be focusing on tempo or you know fast or slow um it's kind of built into their rep practice if that makes sense it totally does. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Some of my best coaches would do something similar. Like mm-hmm. if we had a game coming up, most of our practice is just, just you get your reps in, just mm-hmm. get your reps in reps, 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 because then like, once you play, it's a much easier to trust the yep. work that you've put in because you've done the work. Like you've put in thousands of reps this week on this and now it's just like, have fun and play. Yeah. So you do, do they scrimmage? I know you mentioned they scrimmage, um, every once in a while. And I'm assuming this is their type of competition. It's like, okay, take what you just did in practice for the last five hours. Mm-hmm. Now let's put it into action with live pitchers and things like that. So th- do they do a lot of scrimmaging and stuff? Uh-huh. I'm just curious over here. Yeah. I mean, we play like in our preseason, we play a lot of practice game against other teams. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of like inner squad, it's very rare. Um, I mean, we do it obviously like the intent would be like maybe more so for the pitchers or maybe more so for the hitters. Obviously I think it's, you know, who benefits is dual hitters and, and pitchers, but I, not as much as you would think. Um, they are mm-hmm. very rep oriented. It's like, that's the part that was like mind blowing. I'm like, we don't do any drills. Like we don't do any competitions. Like, Oh my gosh. Like it's, you know, hard to stay motivated sometimes, but their motivation is purely mastering their skill sets and their fundamentals and not a lot of time is spent on like (laughs) challenges for their entertainment you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a big thing at home we're trying 
especially you know we all train kids and it's like trying to keep them engaged yep. and keeping keep like, fun. so creating these challenges but like they are so rep oriented the way that they that's how they duplicate the game is by doing reps you know hitting off live hitting front toss hitting off the machine taking ground balls off of a, a fungo hitter or taking ground balls off of like a live hitter you know when we do have um, like live hitters, they, they will go and like, they'll play at their positions and it's just like live reps. So mm-hmm. it's not a lot of broken down drills. It's yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, I came and I was wait, waiting to like have a piece of paper to take down all the drills. <laughs> and I'm like, just it's reps. It's reps every single day at a hundred percent game speed, game like every day. But that's how you become good. Like, that is how you become good. You know, it's funny because when I worked in Notre Dame, I was talking to Lizzie Rastano, and she was like, I was doing a lot of lessons at the time. And she was like, you should just like run little clinics where just like, you just give them a bunch of reps. I'm like, but that's not fun. Like, that's not fun. But she was like, but that's what everybody does in California. Like, low key. Like, this is how they become good. And Lizzie Lemire, shout out to her. Well, her maiden name is Lemire. We went to, yes. high, we went to high school together. That's Shut up. I did not know this. Yeah. It's her birthday today, actually, as we're recording this. I think it is. I'm going to have to text her. I forgot. Yeah. I had no idea you went to high school together. Yes. That's Lizzie Lemire. That's, that's oh my, my, gosh. my day one homie. Yes. We grew, we that's grew, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. But yeah, when she talked about it, I was just like, just a bunch of reps. Like, But when you think about it, the more you work on anything, the better you're going to get at it mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and I like how the, especially when you do fungo, it's like, you, you you have to be attentive. You have to like move quickly because the game mm-hmm. moves quickly, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's also kind of like getting rid of your mistake. Like get rid mm-hmm. of your failure now. Like yep. if you make a mistake, move on, make yep. a mistake, move on, yep. make a mistake, move on. Yep. Like they're literally ingraining that with mm-hmm. their training. Yep. And that's the hard thing with softball. It's like, we're not like basketball or volleyball. We're like the game keeps going or when yep. you're on offense, you got to go play defense. There's no, yep. there's no real breaks. No. And in softball, there's too many in yep. my opinion. Yep. So that's that's really interesting. And I know coaches right now are geeking out so hard. They're like, oh. <laughs> I know. And I feel horrible. I, I mean, I feel horrible because everybody, like, it, this is a very common question. And I, like I said, when I came, like, I was so ready to just, like, have a notebook of, like, all the drills they do. Mm-hmm. They don't do drills. They just do reps. They just do yeah. reps. It's mind-blowing. It's crazy. Yeah. Lizzie's going to love that answer. That's for sure. (laughs) You know, I promised everybody we'd talk about base running for a minute. Um, Maybe we should just talk about it for a second and then plan another episode where we dive really deep into it. I love that. So, so we give people a fun little um, thing to look forward to next time you're on. Cause I I feel like we could talk for 10 hours. Let's talk about the power of a powerful first step. Okay. And I think that's like, if, if anybody's just starting off with base running, getting really good at reacting and having a powerful first step where you gain the most ground, mm-hmm. that's going to like start the engine and get you rolling. Like exactly. no matter if you're leading off of a bag, whether you're, you just got a hit and you're running to first mm-hmm. or even on defense, like reacting to a ball and moving. Yep. I think a f- powerful first step is huge. And you work with slappers. Like, mm-hmm. how powerful is the touch and go? Like, yep. being able to gain ground. Yeah. How, sure. how do you work with some of your athletes on the first step or just gaining ground with the first step? Just to be able – I mean, in terms of slapping or, or base running or, I guess, all the above. But. 
Yeah, uh, you could you could you could say slappers because I feel yeah. like anything can be reiterated in some other form. Yeah, too. I mean, especially with slappers. I mean, I, there's like I'll break down like how we're getting out of the box after we make contact, you know, because it it, it is the most common mistake is athletes are trying to vacate too soon, but it's all about being explosive and accelerating, like making sure you complete your contact first. And mm-hmm. then acceleration happens, but it's also, you know, there's so many things, you know, obviously your, your timing is going to be a factor when you're slapping, you want to be gaining speed, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want to be stopping making contact and then having to pick back up. So it's like this gradual, you know, kind of like taking off as a plane um, where you're gaining speed. I think we will, we'll start in like our crossover making contact and trying to be explosive. I'll either actually have them do their actual full steps we'll put cones down the first baseline and like seeing like your first three steps. If you can try to, um, like you said, gain and cover ground. And so like, we'll put a marker, mm-hmm. let's see if you can beat it, you know, the next time out. So just trying to focus on yeah. like, the first three steps of like covering and gaining ground. Yeah. That, I mean, first that's mainly like one of, I mean, a drill that I would do with slappers, um, just in mm-hmm. base running, just same thing, you know, those first, I think I would say the first three steps, you know, like, you yes. want to accelerate the explosive. Um, Get I your knee high, yeah. Yeah, think about track runners, you know? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know, for so long, we always used to see the um, rocker start for base runners, like on first base. Like, why would you do that? Um, <laughs> right. Do you see Usain Bolt when he gets out the blocks? Do you see him, like, rocking back for, back and then going first? Nope. Like, he is, like, staying low to the ground as, poss- as low as possible, shooting out, covering ground, trying to um, pick up foot speed as fast as he possibly can so that he can lengthen out his strides, you know? And so... Right. Hitters do the same thing, by the way, like mm-hmm. on their loads. Some mm-hmm. of them are loading way too far. Mm-hmm. They're not getting low to the ground, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And they're not using the floor. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so a lot of people have a lot to look forward to when we continue okay. to talk about base running. That's yep. for sure. One yep. thing I just wanted to throw in there is, like, if, you, if you're not a slapper and, like, starting in your crossover... Easy thing you could do is just, we'll work on the shin angle, like basically um, like where your leg and your feet meet, like you want to create like a 45 degree angle there. But like even just doing like one knee down, like on the ground and just lean and shift your weight into like the ball of your foot where you're creating that angle. Uh And then just like on a go trying to explode and get up, you're going to feel slow as molasses when you start doing that. But you know, it's something that, you know, just work, you know, five reps each side and then you're done. Like you don't have to, you don't have to overkill speed. Um, 10 minutes a day. Yeah. Like you can get so good at it. I like that. Me too. I love base running. Okay. Before I ask you the quick five to thrive today, we talked a little bit about your foundation in the last episode, talked about slapping and like all the courses that you have there. But basically I know so many people are enlightened by your work, um, that I, I definitely want to give the listeners justice and, and kind of allow them to have an opportunity to, to see what you're doing um, for them that they could uh, jump in and join if it suits them, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, precursor, we're probably going to do a base running course at some time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead and, and take the floor there. <laughs> what else I'm doing is that that was the question. What else? I'm like, I'm doing so much. Uh, you know, I started a travel ball team this past year. Um you know, it's obviously like right now it's, I should, I should say it's local in LA. We have a team in Georgia as well, but that's more so I was looking for a way where 
having impact on the, the whole entire game. And I think the travel ball space is a, a place where a lot of us don't go back to um, as mm-hmm. retired athletes and just giving them that physical presence of a female who's played the game. I've tried to recruit other coaches that want to stay in the game that can feel supported and still make an impact that way. And so impacting like on all fronts, on the field, off the field, and not just, you know, slapping in all the slapping stuff that I've done. Like, I love it, but I, you know, I felt like I was getting stuck of like not being able to um, expand outside of that. Maybe that's my own limitations that I put on myself, but I feel it too. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, starting the travel ball team, definitely I'm, you know, totally a startup and um, there's a ton of competition in a sense of the teams that are out there. Um, but it's been a fun experience of like knowing that that travel ball experience is such a important phase of every softball athlete's life of being able to ha- be a part of that. Like I'm really looking forward to that. And so it's just, you know, keeping the impact in mind um, and helping develop these athletes um, in a way that I, I, you know, I'm pretty confident uh, in, in terms of the de- development part. Yeah. What else? I mean, I'm like, you know, I don't even know where to, I don't know. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm doing like so many different things. Obviously, like, you know, I got the house flipping. That's that's not pro- anything yes. in the softball world that anybody probably wants to be a part of. But hey, I'm telling you, the softball <laughs> world is enjoying looking at all of these transformations <laughs> on Instagram. It's been a blast Maybe it's been to watch. Yeah. 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 So they can head to your website to see all the cool things yes. that you're up to. And yes. Between the foundation, obviously, you know, and I think during COVID times, during the, uh, we were able to do more virtual stuff through the foundation, like low barrier costs, like free trainings. Um, so definitely go to my website, a lot of slapping content. And, you know, now if you're uh, looking for, if you have a, a team and you're looking to plug into our travel ball team and it's called Watley Crew, my travel ball organization would love to bring you on board. Um, I'd love working with coaches in terms of like helping them um, with their practice plans, with them helping develop them. You know, I do have I have a couple of dads in Georgia that have, have signed on as well. Um, but just trying to at least influence the coaches, the female coaches that I have on board to be able to be in front of those athletes as well. And, um, just help them with their coaching plans and helping them progress their athletes as much as possible. So if there's other travel ball teams, I would love to, to bring you on board. And I think it's just a fun little journey, um, just to be able to share experiences and obviously like, you know, exactly what we're, we get to do every day. Like why we love our job so much is like, We've been there before, you know, and so mm-hmm. just be able to put that out there, share our experiences. I think it's pretty, it's pretty fun. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I will make sure that, uh, your website is in the show notes. So if anybody wants to dive in and see, you know, if they want to do a travel team, look into the foundation, um, how cool was it that how, like, was it six athletes, unlimited athletes, they played for the foundation? Yeah. Was it six? I think it was. You have definitely the most amount of athletes um, playing for you. And that part, you know what, Ashley, like that was like one of the coolest moments because, you know, building the foundation, it's been about community and just those athletes, like just raising their hands saying like, we support and we play for this initiative. Like it's, you know, it takes a village so to speak. And like, just to, to have that community built in within the softball community with these athletes representing the foundation, like meant the world to me because, uh, you know, obviously the, the foundation is my baby, but it's more than just being my baby. It's about 
supporting our community in a, in, you know, there's a huge gap there. And that's obviously like my passion project is like, you know, just bringing softball to any and every single young girl in the world that wants to play this game or doesn't even know that she wants to play this game yet. Right. you know, and so for them to, to raise their hand and, and do that, like it was huge. Yeah. I thought that was so fun to look at. Yeah. So definitely go check out our website, go see all the cool things that the foundation is doing. Check out our travel team. I think that's, that's so exciting. Cause you didn't have that last, well, no, it, it was kind of just starting last time we talked. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And if anybody wants to learn more about the foundation, we talked about it in the last episode. There's so much that people can learn from you already with these two, but let's dive into five to thrive questions. You ready? Yes. They're different than last time. They're okay. much different. This is the fun part. What's your favorite part of practicing in general? What's your favorite part of practice? Cause I know the Japanese love practice. My favorite part of practice as an athlete or as a coach? Coach. As a coach. I mean, that's easy, like seeing an athlete get it, you know, and I think uh, anytime you can see an athlete progress and like when they are starting something and like the doubts there, but that feeling of a coach of like, hey, like I have confidence in you, um, empowering an athlete and then just seeing them gradually get better. Like there's no there's no better feeling like that's addicting um, in terms of just seeing them get seeing seeing the athlete get it. Totally. Now you got to answer it as a player because I'm interested. As a player, I mean, I think it's the what I love about practice is the confidence building, you know, because you you do see you're, you're failing probably more times than not. And so what I love about practice is like the confidence it feeds me because then, you know, there are moments when I do get it right and I'm like, I can do it. <laughs> I can mm-hmm. do it. But how can I get more consistent at doing it? And so... I think that confidence is what feeds you when it comes game day or it's like, okay, like the three out of 10 times I did get it right in, in practice, you know? So like, I'm confident that I can do it. Um, so how can I repeat that when it comes game day? So different feeling. It's like just a confidence that it's embedded in you um, in practice. That's why I love practice. Yeah. And then you have a coach who gives you a high five because they yeah. see you get it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like you're thirsty for more. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. I think I think coaches, parents, we all can learn from that answer. Um, what is one thing that no matter what you should be doing every practice? Like just if it was if you could choose one thing Ooh. that people have to do. Ooh. Um, I I think every hitter should be doing one arms, whether you're a slapper or a hitter. Mm. I think you should be doing one arms. And I don't know if that's kind of what your question means, but like, I think like one arms, I'm a big fan of like one arms off of a T. A lot of people would disagree with me, but like just knowing your hand path, knowing your mechanics, um, it's muscle memory. uh, You need to know how your bat flows, how it moves. Yeah. Shout out to Scott Burkhart. That's all we did when I was <laughs> growing up. We did that because I had like a weaker arm, my uh-huh. left arm. Yeah. And dad was just like, okay, how do we do it? He probably got this from like Sue Inquist in a video <laughs> or something. And you were the model. Okay. But yeah, my dad and I did so much of that. And I can attest to that. Like talk about, you know, body awareness. Mm-hmm. That that in itself, just doing one arm work is huge. Yep. We would start off the tee and then do front toss. Yeah, yep. I feel that to my yep. core. Yep. And it's scary as heck the first time you do it, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah, it Good answer. What's the best base running advice you've ever been given? Ooh, um, best base running advice I've ever been given. Um, 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 gosh, 
I mean, I would say like more so trust your instincts. Mm. I like that. I think it's more just like trusting your instincts and like trusting yourself because I do remember there was a moment where I was looking at like my, my third base coach, like, should I come? Should I not go? Do I tag? Do I not? You know, just trust your instincts. Like you read it for yourself. I'm here to be your aid and to give you, you know, touch up, you know, or touch up. That's how they say in J- J- Japan is touch up, but tag, <laughs> you know, tag up, you know, you're going to tag, but it's up to you on um, whether you go instinctually, like, you know, your speed, you know, you, you know, kind of, read the read the play for yourself yeah and don't be afraid to make mistakes too while while you're trusting it yes yeah you're not always gonna be right but that's how you learn yeah good answer yeah i love it what's your favorite food in japan oh gosh so many that's honestly the reason why i keep coming back ashley it's not (laughs) it's the food oh there's so much my favorite currently is called nabe and it's like a soupish thing but it's got meat tofu veggies it's almost like shabu shabu if you're familiar with shabu shabu um where you like i'm not i should be meat in um hot boiling water and like you're supposed to say shabu shabu and like because it's like thin slices of meat and it cooks okay um but nabe is a different version of that it's like a broth based meat dish and it's delicious and i just gotta cook it so it's good sign me up let's go it's I need to go to Japan. Yeah. Uh, but before I ask the final question, I need to thank you once again for coming on and for, you know, slyly saying that you'll come back on and talk about base running. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like there's just so many things that we could just explode and talk about. Um, but thank you again for what you do. Like the fact that you're just trying all these new things to help the game grow. Um, you're doing incredible work and I've been able to see it from the sidelines and just keep it up. I'm excited to have you as a mentor in this game and learn how you're doing it too. So mad appreciation. You you're doing awesome things too. It's been fun to see the impact that you've been making. So I appreciate you and thank you for your time as well. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Final question. What's your favorite Japanese tradition that we don't know about? There's such a ritual based culture. I mean, and it's hard to say like what my favorite is, but I think it's, uh, I wouldn't call it my favorite, but I think the thing that I've grown to love, which when I first came, I probably was like, this is so weird. But every day before we start practice, we literally like bow to the field. (laughs) And so like as a team, so we stand on the line, I can send you pictures, but like literally like, you know, before we start practice, they bow to the field and it's like, thank you for the opportunity. And it's almost like, it seems like it's like religious. And I'm like, are they forcing like their religion on us? Like this, you know, I was just like, so, you know, like, what is this about? You know, but I'm going to, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to, I'm going to take it on, but you know, it's what you make of it. In my opinion, it's like, thank, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this chance to play, to get better. Make sure we're all good today, that we're healthy, that we have a good practice. We're doing that. And we're in this together. We're all doing it. Like we're all bowing together. It's just showing graciousness and thankfulness in my opinion. So I, I like when we, I, I wouldn't, I don't, I, I can't, it's hard to say that it's my favorite. It's the thing that's grown on me the most um, before we start practice each day, that bow to the field. Wow. There's a lot we can learn from, from yeah. them. Yes. Wow. And there's so much more that I want to ask, but 
Thank you so much for coming on, Tosh. This Me was too. this was a blast. I, I didn't think it could get better than the first episode, but it totally <laughs> did. No, this is it totally did. fun talking to you and talking the game. And thank you for having me. Feelings mutual. Thanks, Tosh.